0: Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's webinar. I'll pass you on to my colleague, Elaine Chow. Thank you, Elaine. Thanks, Ali. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining our webinar today, which is focusing on Cayman Investment Manager and Advisor Entities registered at SIP, registered person with the Cayman Islands Monetary Authority. Um, Today, we have over 100 registered um, for the webinars, which is a great turnout. Um, If you have any questions that you would like to discuss following the webinar, Uh, please feel free to reach out to any of us, and we will be more than happy to provide um, any additional information and answer your questions. Uh, While we have put together an informative agenda, our Cayman subject matter experts um, will be be in Hong Kong and Singapore at the end of April, uh, where Raystone will be hosting physical roundtables to go through these and the related uh, topics in, in more details. Uh, there will be no charge to attend the roundtables and you're welcome to extend the invitation to your teams. Uh, however, as space will be limited, we do encourage you to um, register as soon as possible. Um, as a quick introduction of our moderators and speakers today, my name is Elaine Chow. I'm a director based in Hong Kong and I'm part of the business development team. I will be one of your moderators today. Uh, My co-moderator is Yus Loppler, a managing director based in our Hong Kong office as well. He is also part of our global business development team supporting the business development activities of Waystone within the Asia-Pacific region. Um, Our speakers today are from Cayman. um, The the Cayman subject matter experts um, uh, were based in Cayman Islands. Uh, We have Lyndon John who is an executive director and heads up our Cayman product development. So our speaker today is uh, Cayman subject matter experts and they are based in the Cayman Islands. Lyndon John, who is an executive director and heads up our Cayman product development, where he provides structuring and regulatory solutions to our asset manager clients. And he also serves as independent directors and advisory committee members to Cayman Funds. Our second speaker today, Alan Kelly. He is an executive director and heads up our economic substance solutions. Alan manages a dedicated substance team that provides substance to a wide range of Cayman domicile asset managers. And he's also responsible for managing Cayman's host asset manager platform, service, which directly manages approximately uh, 13 billion of assets under management. Our last speaker today is Dara Murphy. He is a director in our economic substance team in Cayman, where he manages and provides oversight to the team performing the portfolio management and risk reporting to fulfill the core income generating activities, SIGA. He also provides independent directors service to um, Cayman asset managers and funds as well.
1: Thanks for the introduction, Elaine. So now let's jump right into it. Uh, the first question is for you, Alan. Um, From your your perspective as our Head of Economic uh, Substance Solutions, what are the main areas a SIP registered person or a Cayman Investment Management company should be focusing on in uh, 2023?
2: Thank you, Juice, and good morning, everybody. I guess in addition to the usual uh, SIB regulatory requirements, the three main areas of focus for this fiscal year, I would say, are the proposed new rules and guidance notes, I guess, in respect to internal controls for SIB registered persons, the increased frequency of SEMA inspections on SIB or P entities and their annual control reviews, and I guess ultimately their AML compliance. Also then we're looking at the increased DIT inspections um, in respect of economic substance compliance and ensure all relevant entities are one, I guess, able to demonstrate that they meet their economic substance obligations and that they're having adequate and appropriate sea good conducted within the Cayman Islands. And also I guess then that they're adequate number of suitably qualified employees within the islands. Just for context as well, Juice, I guess when we're referring to uh, the DITC, DITC is the Department for International Tax Cooperation. And I guess they're responsible for administering all of the Cayman Islands legal frameworks for the international cooperation in tax
1: matters. All right. Thanks, guys. Um, <clears throat> then over to Linden. Um, so in the first week of January, uh, the SIP managers received a circular issued by, by CIMA asking the rigid person entities for an internal audit plan and a request to provide audit reports to the regulator. Can you shed some light on this and what should managers understand about CIMA ex- actually expecting from them? Thanks, Just. Yes. The circuit
3: that was released was released before the new proposed guidance notes and rules have actually been gazetted. And so technically the rules are not quite yet in force, but it's very clear that the regulator's expectation is that of persons should start taking the steps to be in compliance sooner than later. And once those rules have been gazetted and they will be enforced by the regulator and the regulator's approach will be that they had given industry significant and significant adequate notice before they're being gazetted. So, the question really for a person is what is adequate controls? And because subregister persons cover such a wide range of different activities related to securities, some registered persons are passive and answers all functions and have no employees, while others actively manage trade accounts. So, for the first question that managers should understand is, is, is understand the scope of the activities. And my examples are quite simple. The subregistered person who delegates all investment decisions to a sub advisor and has no employees. We don't have many requirements for controls. And the main controls that would basically be controls around the governance framework, controls around anti-money laundering, controls around outsourcing. And the key would really be around outsourcing, because it's not just that you have controls about who you select to do the services, but also how you monitor them and ensure that your service provider has adequate and appropriate controls in place. For example, internal controls, business continuity uh, policies and procedures, and cybersecurity security. Whereas a sub-registered person who actively manages a portfolio and trades, has several employees and outsources, maybe some seeker for substance, would have a much greater need for more controls. And you consider whether or not you'd have to have business continuity uh, policy procedures at the manager level, employee policies and procedures, cash management, investment, anti-money laundering, cybersecurity, et cetera, et cetera. And these these controls need to be documented in either an operating manual or a policy and procedure. And these project procedures can't just be generic. They need to be tailored to your business. So that not only do they fulfill the guidance and the rules, but it makes sense when you test these controls. With that would come an internal audit plan, and that would be relative to the size, complexity, and the nature of your business. So how do you test this? It's actually quite straightforward. A, a person or an independent team and who's independent of the directors of the CIV registered sub-register person would need to establish an internal control plan and determine the frequency of controls to be tested. We really have to contest the anti money laundry controls every year. We do have to have two board meetings every year, so it wouldn't be a, a large stretch to add a few extra tests. In my first example, your internal audit may um, just document the evidence that the internal audit plan exists and that someone has had the two board meetings, whereas if you have a more complex sub person, you'd really have to consider the impact of the controls. What, what would be adequate with, with cash management, for example, should be an annual basis, whereas Business continuity planning could be buy-in every two or three years. <clears throat> what is key is that the internal controls are coming, and it's worth getting ahead of this before uh, the regulations are in place. So I'm going to cough. Hang on. Sorry. And if you could go back to um, consider the frequency on the internal scope, water scope over a few periods, and start again. What is the key takeaways? Internal controls are coming, and it's worth go- getting ahead of the regulation sooner than later. Don't overcomplicate what you need to do. Understand your sub bridge the person's role to identify the key controls required, or so you know what you need to be tested. Ensure that these key controls are documented, and identify who is best placed to perform an internal control, who is best suited, and whether this should be outsourced or if you can get it in-house. And Then also ensure that once you've completed your internal control and your internal audit report, it's prepared and submitted to CIMA within the prescribed timeframes.
1: So, uh, Linden, to sum up what you just said is that <clears throat> while there's uh, a lot to understand to the new regulations, um, it might make sense to speak to a firm like Waystone to assess your specific requirement and understand where you fall in scope before going out and spending a significant amount of time and effort and possibly money only to realise that you could have fulfilled your obligations with simpler controls, right? That's exactly
3: it. If you consult before you go and spend a significant amount of time, it it would be a lot, uh, very beneficial to you to to consult with your trusted uh, service providers.
1: Okay, um, okay. Then over to you, Derek. Um, asset managers everywhere in the world, including Asia, have uh, noted a significant increase in regulatory requests for their SIPS. Um, Can you shed some light on why this is and what SIP managers can expect in uh, 2023, this year?
4: Thanks, Joost. Absolutely. So for the last couple of years, um, since SEMA have put more robust regulations in place, they've also increased their inspections. And it's not really just inspections, but also seeking more information through the requests for information, such as the SVB bank matter recently. And they've also expanded the AML surveys to SIB registered person entities in 2022. So, the SIB t- registered person AML survey caught many service providers and SIB managers off guard. This is because the survey itself was extremely broad and was designed to capture almost all scenarios for SIB registered persons' AML activities. At first glance, the 500 or so questions were quite overwhelming, and many AML COs and directors may have been at a loss as to where even to begin especially given the tight deadlines around the turn of the year. For the majority of these managers, uh, the responses for the survey were either generically the same or not applicable to the asset manager class. As such, our product team uh, had an opportunity where they were able to create an automated tool to assist managers complete the survey within a few hours. We also actually assisted many non-Waystone clients where their service providers were unable or unwilling to assist for whatever reason. Uh, The survey itself liked some key deficiencies for some managers, for example, managers not having completed an AML control review within the last 12 months, and in some cases ever, or, you know, not holding the two required board meetings in the last fiscal year. And then I guess what this led to was it ties in to the common findings the regulator is finding in its inspections, which are... Frequent AML control reviews not being undertaken, or if they are being undertaken, they're not addressing the AML controls required for SIB registered persons. Uh, Along with that, directors and officers of the SIB registered person entities are not completing Cayman specific training. So some of them are completing AML training per se in each of their respective jurisdictions, but not Cayman specific, which is important. Um, Again, not having at least two board meetings in a fiscal year, which is in line with the CMA statement of guidance and not undertaking any CDD on the funds that they have been appointed on and importantly, unable to show how they risk rate each of their clients. So I guess um, to answer your question, Juiced, what should managers see in 2023? Um, I think it's right to break this into four aspects. So one manager should be prepared for another survey. Now that team have done it, they're likely to do it again. And it would be prudent to have the information ready to for the survey in advance for request. Number two, managers should anticipate that the Sib registered person entity uh, be inspected. And if an inspection request is received, understand how best to respond within the timeframe provided. Again, here we need to remember that it was tight deadlines last time around. In the event that SEMA identifies some findings, ensure that they are then addressed within the relevant deadline and that the board approved the remediation of any findings. The fourth item, Um, that I'd like to bring to people's attention is uh, fines. Fines are certainly something that are probably going to follow these inspections and audits, let's say. So managers and operators who are not prepared, have not put in controls, or not adhering to legislation rules, or the guidance notes are likely to be faced with enforcement um, by way of fines or penalties. We've seen a lot of service providers and some managers receive quite hefty fines in the last two to three years. The biggest one that we have seen is uh, over five million yeah, US dollars. And the expectation is that the enforcements and fines will continue to be levied into the future.
1: Right. So the message here is uh, be proactive, don't wait and see, uh, because it might become very expensive. Um, At the same time, if your current service providers can't assist you you with this uh, service on time, you may want to consider a service provider who is uh, sophisticated enough and able to respond to such requests on on short notice and fulfill your obligations as needed. Um, I'll move on to uh, another uh, question here. In 2019 and 2020, there was a lot of information going around about economic substance and whether a SIP registered person was in scope, and if so, what would be deemed adequate and appropriate. Now, two years on, does the industry and the regulator have a clearer understanding of what is adequate and appropriate, and have there been any inspections by the Department of International Tax Cooperation, the DITC, in this regard?
2: Thanks, Joost. The short answer is yes to all your questions. I guess, firstly, the guidance notes were agreed in 2020 now, and the DITC is now testing whether separate persons who are in scope have adequate and appropriate substance in place. I guess what we have found in the last year or so with potential clients is that if they've received inquiries from the DITC or they've started to assess whether they what they have in place is adequate or inappropriate, or indeed if they have considered it adequate and appropriate in the past, if if this remains to be the case, there does remain significant gaps in their ability to demonstrate substance. I guess to explain this is important to understand when a SIB registered person is considered to be undertaking a fund management business as defined by the guidance notes. The definition of fund management business encompasses, I guess, relevant entities which as a business manage securities belonging to another person, say, for example, being an investment fund in circumstances involving the exercise of discretion pursuant to paragraph three of section two of the SIBA. The key here is being managed securities. The second part of understanding is how SIB registered person is going to demonstrate the core income generating activities. And remember, those core ge- income generating activities are taking decisions on the holding up and selling up investments, calculating risk and reserves, taking decision on currency and interest fluctuations and hedging positions. And lastly, then preparing reports or returns, or indeed both to investors or regulators. I guess what we have found is when clients have come to us to set, to assess if what they have in place is already adequate and appropriate, or what they have presented to us is say, for example, adverse findings from the DITC. In most cases, they, they have actually appointed Cayman resident directors. So in theory, they have a majority Cayman board, When we look at it closely, I guess the SEGA, these have been sub-delegated to to an advisor who's actually outside of Cayman. Uh, As a result, there is no actual SEGA and internal substance in Cayman. I guess then for, for PE funds, we also find that, I guess the board compositions are usually not majority Cayman board and there's no formal process noting that the quorum must be in Cayman has been defined. So as such, um, investments decisions for P transactions are not deemed to be made in Cayman, which essentially then underlines the SIGA. I would say then for, for SIB registered persons to have adequate and appropriate economic substance, the SIB or P should really have the following. Number one, a majority Cayman resident board. Two, the ability to demonstrate that the sega's again, for example, are taking decisions in the holding and selling of investments or calculating risk reserves is actually undertaken in Cayman. Um, also, to ensure that the adequate amount of operating expenditure incurred in the islands, for example, um, that the CBRP retained Cayman-based uh, services to assist the entity's internal controls, such as um, registered office, AML officers, FATCA and CRS officers. I guess in addition, then, the main findings of the DITC that substance is not adequate and appropriately applied from the Caymans are relatively obvious. And some of the pitfalls um, we would have seen or need read about would be, for example, that the ESN, that is the Economic Substance Notifications, are correct. Again, remember the ESN is the acknowledgement if an entity is in scope or out of scope for uh, economic substance. Secondly, then, the economic substance return itself have not been filed, or indeed have been filed, and uh, they're inadequate. Um, also, then, we see the ES classifications only address some of the activities and not all uh, ES activities. Also, we see then CBRPs um, have not registered for, for CRS, and uh, Common Reporting Standards. Another one, then, we see then is RPs the relevant entities not having frequent or adequate amount of board meetings. Um, and not only having the board meetings, but also document those board meetings by way of minutes um, have been, as, as have been carried out in Cayman. And lastly, then we also see, SIB or B boards are not undertaking self-assessment in respect of economic substance to assess if the entity is adequately and appropriately addressing its obligations.
1: Okay. So, Alan, are managers surprised when they are informed that despite having Cayman directors, their substance is not adequate?
2: You're correct, Juice. Yes, yes, they are. And, you know, it can be a tricky discussion as, as Wasteland is ultimately a service provider here. And we want to be respectful of our competitors. But if you have a Cayman resident uh, director, one, they should understand what is required to undertake those SEGA that we mentioned. Two, then, they need to be able to summarise what the SIB or P requirements are um, and they're in compliance with ES, I guess, which goes to my previous point then around self-assessment. I would also say then that there's only a few professional director services firms in Cayman who provide fund management services, that being risk reporting and portfolio management services here on Ireland. Um, I guess... I think the message if your payment service provider is not undertaking portfolio management or risk reporting, you should really consult with a firm such as Waystone as to whether you have the adequate substance. Um, at the very least, um, you know, have that discussion, make an inquiry um, in the very first instance. Um, I guess in conclusion, then, Juice, I may I, if I may, just to leave you with with my key takeaways for consideration. Um number one, I'd say. Now the DES regulations have settled and the DIT has started to test uh, relevant entities' implementation of the, of the regulations. It's important for managers and I guess entities' boards to assess whether or not the substance with, that they already have in place is adequate and appropriate. Again, if there's any doubt, it'd be prudent to have that discussion, make the inquiry, just make sure that there's no gaps whatsoever. Because again, uh, it goes to the fines and penalties for non-compliance are no material. And as such, now that we're in 2023, and the legislation is a few years old, um, the breach may be for multiple years, increasing the possible fines, I guess, the DITC handling of how the how the breach um, goes.
1: Okay, thanks, Alan. Um, this brings us to the end of our webinar, and we appreciate your informative updates of the matters that uh, SIP registered persons need to be aware of this year. Thank you very much. Um, I'm sure many people on the line today have questions or want to discuss uh, some of these topics in more detail. So, of course, we are happy to uh, schedule some time with you if you want. Um, Our contact details uh, of Elaine and myself are on the sheet you see here in front of you. Um, And um, again, um, our Cayman subject matters experts will be in Hong Kong and Singapore at the end of April and early May. Uh, If you want to meet them in person to discuss the various topics of today uh, or any other related topic, um, uh, please let us know and we'll schedule some time with you. And I thank everyone for attending our webinar.